A podcast of the evening. Why don't you tell everybody what you just said in the little whispery voice that you did? They heard me. I don't know that they heard you, and some of them probably don't know what the hell you were talking about. I said, be quiet, big boys don't cry, which is from the uh, 10cc song, I'm Not in Love. A hit of the 1970s. Yes. Google it. All right. If you don't understand the theme music you just heard, if you don't understand... Uh, that there's a show called Linoleum Nights. If you don't understand what's going on at all, I'm fixing to tell you. Yes. We, Alonzo Duralde and Dave White, the hosts of the Linoleum Knife podcast, we have a Patreon. And on that Patreon, people hop aboard and they subscribe at various uh, money levels. Uh, Extracted from your bank account each month. Like magic. And uh, for that money, your subscription gives you primarily uh, extra podcasts. This is the podcast that you get if you are at the top two levels of subscription money. It is called Linoleum Nights. In fact, the subscribers at that level are currently watching us record this live on Facebook. Yes. And we should probably explain to them in case they are wondering why we're talking about I'm, I'm, Patreon. It's all coming, it's all coming to, to, to their information uh, holes, buckets. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you just said people are actually watching us perf- do this live. Yes. Perform. Perform. <laughs> We're sitting at our dining room table on a Sunday morning is what's happening. The performative aspects um, of podcasting. And when we say in the comments, so-and-so is saying this, it means that people can uh, say things in the comments. Uh, For and, this show. And ask us things and tell us things while we are recording it live. Yes. And the reason I'm explaining all of this to you right now is because all the Patreon shows this particular week, starting today, which is Sunday, the 27th of August, they are going out free to everybody for the week uh, because Alonzo leaves town tomorrow for the Venice Film Festival. He'll be gone for a week, so we're not recording things. We are going to send out stuff uh, free everybody and that's why you're hearing it that's why if you normally subscribe uh via whatever uh service to yes linoleum knife you see this here popping up and you're like what's a linoleum nights well this is a linoleum nights it's our it's our end of summer moment where you know like good salesmen everywhere we give you the first taste for free <laughs> yeah we're good salesmen in the hopes of you know Making you need it. Crave it. You need it. You crave it. This is the show where we talk about anything we want. Yes. This is the show that we are usually not uh, uh, clean on. Uh, And by that I mean you may hear profanity. You will generally hear it more from my mouth than Alonzo's because Alonzo has beaten it out of himself. And I have not. I'm just good at it. Stopping and starting on a dime. I see. Uh, so yeah, 
that said, if if this is a oh, I listen in the car with my kids podcast. This ain't normally. that episode. Not this one. Do you have little kids around? You don't want to have them hearing some swears. Well. There might be some cussing, so yeah. that's what's the deal. The other shows that we're going to drop this week, LKTV, a podcast of television. Normally. Linoleum Knife and Fork, a yeah. food podcast hosted by two film critics. Uh, those will be language clean. But just this like one, linoleum knife. Just like Linoleum Knife, exactly. Yeah. But this one won't be. Um, once a month on Linoleum Nights, we have an Ask Us Anything episode. Yes. Everybody... Who uh, subscribes? They ask us anything, and this time around, I opened up the questions to everybody on Patreon, not just the people who are at this level. And and so we have some uh, new folks asking us some new things. Exciting. We didn't open it up to the public. No, <laughs> just all the Patreon yes. people. And we got a bunch of questions. Would you like me to begin reading them to you right now? Yes. Then you'll do it. Nathan. We begin with Nathan. Mm -hmm. Says, if your spouse suddenly had an evil clone and you were faced with shooting one of them dead and leaving the other alive, what question would you ask to reveal your true lover <laughs> from his evil doppelganger? So the clone doesn't have all the knowledge then of the other person. And that's how we can tell them apart. I'm guessing. Um, like you've just been cloned and you don't know all the things. Everything. Gotcha. Um, I would yeah. simply say Baroque. And I know that the correct Dave White would respond with... Yeah, if you say, Baroque, the real Dave White would respond with a particular uh, 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 word yes. to compliment that. Oh, now, we're not giving it away because the clone might be listening? What if the clone's out there <laughs> listening? Now, it's, here's... here's, here's you, well, do the whole thing. Okay. Baroque. And then I would say... Oh, you want me to say? Yes. Lugub. Yes. <laughs> now you will explain it. I will. Okay. It's from last year at Marion Bond, and it's a recurring line that we just thought was... It's a recurring line in the film. In the film. Yeah. It's said several times, and it just made us laugh. And so uh, often, it, 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 apropos of nothing or in, in describing some cool thing that we see, we will launch into Baroque Lugub. <laughs> Which means Baroque, lugubrious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which are two things that, uh, two qualities yeah. that I think everyone should aspire to. <laughs> Last year at Marienbad certainly does. <laughs> we love that movie, by the way. Yes. I, we're not Pauline Keeling it. No, uh, no. She was a f notoriously famous. Uh, Anti-fan. Uh, anti, 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 yeah, she hate, oh, did she hate that film? Yeah. She hated that film so much that it, it made her sort of look askance at European art house <laughs> cinema yeah. for years to come. Like, she there's a very funny tweet from the wonderful New Yorker film critic Richard Brody. Mm. Uh, 
and the and and all he says is Pauline Kale uh, didn't uh, cons- didn't didn't concern herself with writing a review of Jean Dumont. <laughs> <laughs> And she did not. Yeah. No, she hated last year at Marion Bond so much she turned it into a phrase. Like she would complain about the the movie's creeping Marion Bodism. Yeah. <laughs> if if an art house film, if a, if, a, if, a, if an art film was too mysterious, lugubre, too, too <laughs> impenetrable, too open to any sort interpretation, of reading, she would be like. Did she not like Antonioni? Uh, you're the Paulette around here. <laughs> I'd have to look it up. I yeah. don't know. The uh, so anyway, you have all the books. You have all her books. You go not all up. of them. But I have some of them. You got a lot of them. Yeah. You go look her up. I will. Yeah. Um, no, she was. You know, she liked those Samuel Fuller films. Yeah. <laughs> she liked some Two Fisted De Palma. <laughs> Um, thank you for that letter. Thank you, Neil. What question would I ask you? Yeah. Would it be the same thing? I, I, I mean, it would, that would be an easy one yeah. that I could do for you. And I know you would respond in the same way. Sure. Um, you know, I, any, any obscure reference to the Peanuts comic strip. Oh, there you go. You know, that, that no one remembers or cares about except other super... Charles Schultz nerds. You, you would say to me, it's terrible, it's weak. It sounds like warm water. It tastes like warm water with a brown crayon in it. Right. And I would respond with, you're right. I better put in another, another crayon. Brown, another brown crayon, yeah. All right. Um, Katie asks, we are watching, she, she sent this question last night. Ah. Uh, we are watching uh, Get Crazy from 1983 oh, okay. tonight, and I think it might be a perfect trash movie. Have you seen it? I have not. Uh, I know of it. We got the Blu-ray sent to us uh, not super long ago, and I've never seen it. I, so. I believe it's Alan Arkish, who also directed Rock and Roll High School. Maybe. Question is, uh, what's your favorite trash cinema? Last night, we also watched Faster Pussycat. Oh, we watched Faster Pussycat Kill Kill this week. Mm. And have gone deeper on Herschel Gordon Lewis than anyone probably should. Oh, my. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it depends on your definition of trash. But, right. Um, right. Yeah, Faster Pussycat is a great one, for sure. Uh, I, I tend to... Be if I'm if I want to watch something that is like bad and overwrought, I tend to be more drawn to wigs and jewels and gowns than like bikers or zipper backed monsters. You know, uh, it's the it's the whole bad movies we love thing. The the book that Stephen Rebello and Ed Margulies wrote, where it was all. You know, later Lana Turner movies and uh, <laughs> stuff like that. Uh, that's my idea of fun trash, like Portrait in Black or something. But but then again, that but that's but that's high budget and you know, like movies with serious intent. I mean, like Trash Trash. 
like uh, dangerous men. <laughs> oh, for sure. Now, does trash cinema, does sort of like outsider cinema qualify as trash? I think... Because that's, Dangerous Men would absolutely fall into the outsider It's cinema outsider game. cinema, but it's yeah. also grungy. Like, right. like, after last season is outsider, but it's not grungy. No, it, it aspires to something, like, pure and, and yeah. artful. Yeah. Um, but, like, if we're talking sort of, you know, grimy, psychotronic... Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Stuff like Lady Frankenstein and things like that. Sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a lot of choices. I don't know. I'm old school. I'd say my favorite of those uh, kinds of films is I Drink Your Blood from 1970, Mm. which is about some satanic hippies who become rabid. (laughs) And they just overrun a little town. And uh, it has, first of all, it's really silly and really fun and really gory in a dumb way but it also has a score that is like synth noise like that sort of high frequency sort of like i'm gonna scratch at your head with some nails like that's that is really what the music in this film sounds like and it is perfect is there a theremin in there or no uh no it's just sort of like like cheap ugly synth like Punishment, and it's wonderful. Um, I also like Greg Dean Schmitz, just said Frankenhooker. He said that in the comments. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Frankenhooker is really uh, fucking cool. Yeah. Um, From the director of Basket Case. Yes, from the director of Basket Case. I I don't know that I would include Basket Case in this. Uh, Maybe I would. Yeah, I would. Basket Case... Crosses a lot of boundaries. Basket case would be called, I would call, I would call it trash, but I would also call it art. art. And yeah. it, and, and I mean, it's, MoMA has a copy of this movie. Um, it is truly something wonderful. Ooh. Speaking of it's Patreon. A, it's alive. Oh, uh, there you go. The greatest. It's alive. Sure. The greatest movie ever made. It's alive. Uh, there's something wrong with the Davis baby. <laughs> It's alive. It's alive. Uh, for those of you who are not already Patreon subscribers, by the way, one of the other shows that we do on a regular basis for our patrons yeah. is something called Linoleum Knife Presents More Linoleum Knife, yes. where we go in deep on one single movie for about half an hour. And, uh, and you get Linoleum Knife Presents More Linoleum Knife for a At dollar. every level, yes. You get it at every level, but the lowest level of subscription is a dollar a month. And you, and get you get that show. LK Presents More LK. And I bring yeah. it up because we recently devoted an episode to Basket Baskets. Yes. Um, all right. Next one. Uh, James has one that is not going to make any sense to most Americans, but I'm going to read it anyway. Okay. This is James in London? Yes. And also, James, um, I'm going to pronounce this word the way we pronounce it here. So nobody get on my ass about that. Okay. James says, for the perfect cream tea, what is the best method for applying to your scone? Scone, we say here, (laughs) good old US of A. You put jam, then cream on top, or cream, then jam. Now, he says, I'm the former. 
But this debate has been raging between Devon and Cornwall all my life <laughs> as, to, as to the preferred method. And probably always will do. All right, I'm going to tell you something. I don't eat a lot of scones. I don't encounter them very often. Um, I, I unplug that. You don't have to worry about it. Thank yeah. you. Um, but when I do, if I also happen to be in the, in the moment and have, we're very lucky to live in Los Angeles and one and a half blocks away from a grocery store that stocks some pretty fancy items. And by fancy items, I mean like imported things. Yeah. And one of the things that our local supermarket always has is uh, double Devon cream, right? It is so thick. It comes in a little jar. It is so thick that you just spoon it out, right? It is perfection. So, I got a scone. I'm putting the cream on it first because this particular cream is sturdy and thick and like spreadable. Then I'm going to put the jam on top and it's going to be strawberry or seedless raspberry jam. Um, and I would hope the scone would be warm so that the cream would begin to melt and pool and soak into the scone and get mixed up with the jam. That is what I would be hoping. Um, I am not a scone eater, but yeah. uh, I think, yeah, the, the logistically, it would depend on the viscosity of your cream and the solidity of your jam. Right. And so basically, whichever one is going to have a more effective walls on the outside as a moat. <laughs> a scone moat. Yes. <laughs> then the, then, the, then the, the, the less, the more pliable item goes within that space. Right. Uh, here's the thing. There's only one person in my life who makes scones. And, and she makes good ones, too. But well, I so I'm, what I'm going to you know what I need to do perhaps to our give perhaps her a our call perhaps our friend who's a bakery apprentice will get into she, oh yeah game. the bakery apprentice might also yeah. be uh, our friend <laughs> the family member well, <laughs> I was you were being all coy about it so no I just said I said a family member the first okay, time I talked about fine. it okay, anyway fine. um <clears throat> anyway uh, we uh, uh, we need to get a hold of the scone baker. And mm. have her come over and and testify. Take this, take this all the way. Okay. Thank you, James, for that incredibly esoteric. Question. <laughs> it's exactly the kind of thing we're looking for here on Ask Us Anything. But oh yeah, I, I want the cream to be that spooned out thick uh, cream, and I want the jam kind of ploppity plopped on top of it. Mm. I don't know why. It's aesthetic. It has no difference on the... Wh whatever you do, it doesn't matter to the flavor. The flavor is going to be the same. Mm. You're going to taste all three things at the same time the way you like them. Also, is this one of those things where jam means something different there than it does here? No, jam is jam is jam is jam. They call... Uh, uh, gelatin jelly. They call gelatin jelly. And so... Uh, do they call jelly jam? They do not. 
when we say peanut butter and jelly, they look at us like we're nuts. Yeah. That's basically it. I understand. But do they have jelly over there? I never saw any, but I was, but you know, it's been 35 years (laughs) since I was there. James, (laughs) in this country, as you may know, jelly is the clear, like what you make from the juice without the pieces of fruit in it. Right. Right. I don't know if an equivalent of that exists in in the UK or if y'all are just all jam all the time. Yeah. They kick out the jams. Yes, they do. All right. (laughs) Fernando says, good morning, gents. Good morning, Fernando. I'm in hot as hell, Florida. Mm. Condolences. And the closest I get to autumn is lighting an apple cider candle and cranking the AC. Uh, You could have a pumpkin spice latte. They are now available. Mm. (laughs) What are some of your favorite films, TV shows, that wrap you in that autumnal spirit? Hmm. I mean, this is a movie that is set throughout the year, but the autumn sequence of When Harry Met Sally is pretty great. That's a good one. The autumn sequence uh, in uh, Hannah and Her Sisters. Hannah and Her Sisters, I was going to say, yes. a good one. Um. I always associate autumn with uh, uh, is the trouble with Harry. Yeah. Oh yeah, for the sure. Trouble with Hitchcock's the trouble with Harry. Very autumnal. And ordinary people. Yes. And here's the bonus of ordinary people in the autumn. It is such a bummer <laughs> that you will feel that autumnal melancholy. <laughs> Not just the leaves are dying around here. <laughs> but it's got everything. It's got autumn outsides. Sweaters. It's, it's got the it's got the good early eighties, late seventies, early eighties American preppy ski sweaters. Clothing. Yeah. Sweaters and like Elizabeth McGovern Ooh. in this film. Is she wearing an Atabead necklace? Elizabeth McGovern <laughs> in this movie is she's first of all, she's eighteen. Uh, in the film, she's yes. not. She's not uh, uh, Lady Grantham. Lady Grantham. Yeah, um, she is wearing. I swear to God, an outfit that they pulled directly from the official preppy handbook. She is wearing <laughs> a, a, a a blue Oxford cloth button down a shirt, unisex for everyone. Everyone yes. wears these in 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 the in the world of people who dress that way. <laughs> Um, she has on uh, a Shetland wool sweater mm-hmm. over it. She has a little string of pearls on the outside. Yes. Okay. She has that sort of like modified Dorothy Hamill <laughs> kind of wedge. Look up Dorothy Hamill. Just yes. go Google it. That sort of kind of wedgy, shaggy, wedgy hair. <laughs> she is wearing a plaid below the knee skirt. Mm. Woolen knee socks and clogs. Do you have a gold kilt pin too? I think she does. <laughs> you have never seen people go this hard <laughs> with the LL Bean, Brooks Brothers, uh, 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 fucking what else? Um, uh, what was the what was the what were the things at the time? Lambs sweater, right? What? No, I'm of... talking about like stores, brands. Oh, right, right, right. No, but I, I thought I, I never. I'm thinking something else. Okay. Um. Yeah, it's something else. 
Maybe and, she got maybe she got the knee socks at five seven nine. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Oh, that was a, was a women's clothing store of the seventies. Oh, okay. a, a mall fixture. <clears throat> oh, okay, I don't know that these young people shopped in malls. These were, in fact, they did not. In fact, they did not. <laughs> well, that's true because the town mom, has like <clears throat> mom brought home your clothes for you yes. from the department the store. store. Yes, like, I remember that scene. Where I'm like, okay, so this family is rich. Like, they've got money. First of all, they live in a house that has a staircase. (laughs) Their house has a whole second floor. (laughs) That kid has his own goddamn room. Yeah, for two kids, that's a lot of house. Mom mom is Mary Tyler Moore. Chilly and brutal and upset all the time. Like, you've never seen Mary Tyler Moore be Mary Tyler Moore like this. Yeah. Um. There's a scene where she comes home with like very tasteful, unobtrusive looking shopping bags mm-hmm. and she just places them on the, Timothy Hutton's, he's 17 years old, mm-hmm. Timothy Hutton's bed. She has been out shopping for clothes for him. He's a senior in high school, but the clothes just magically appear and and it doesn't matter that she isn't uh, uh, shopping to his taste, she knows what he dresses like. So she just gets the clothes. They just magically appear in the in the in the house, and the kid has no responsibility in this process at all because we all know we dress this way. This whole family, this whole neighborhood, everyone at your school, we all look alike, and we all dress alike. And here are your new shirts on the bed. I remember what that scene and think, thinking to myself, where is this place? <laughs> I, I was a kid. I was, I was a teenager living in Roswell, New Mexico. Guess what? It was not very much like. <laughs> ordinary people. The world of ordinary people. I was like, what's happening here, who are these people? How do they live? What is the meaning of this? Yeah. Uh, my mom would show up with clothes she had bought me. This sometimes. does not surprise me at all. <laughs> sometimes, I, I I went I went to a school with uniforms, which in retrospect, thank goodness, yeah, because the idea of like the idea that every day of getting dressed and like the whole competitive factor of all that stuff, like ugh, no, thank you. Listen, I've seen enough slides nights. To know how your family dressed in the 1970s. And let me just tell you, people watching this on camera and listening, the um, it's exactly the same as the film Ordinary People, but filtered through uh, immigrants from Spain. So a little more European, a little more continental, but generally... Basic Americana. A lot of Lacoste shirts. The kids in Gap jeans and Lacoste shirts. Like, that was how it went. And I've seen them all. I've seen the slides. I've seen the photos. I've seen the... Your older sister, Victoria, Mm -hmm. had basically the same outfits as Elizabeth McGovern in Ordinary People. Yeah. I've I've, I've seen the photos. (laughs) Brent asks, members only jackets? No, that no that's later. later. That's, that's later. later. That's later in the 80s, and that's the trendy 80s. Yeah. And trendy is not what we're talking no, about. No, <laughs> We're talking about the early the early 80s when the preppy thing really took hold, even though we were kind of already yeah. there in a lot of ways. Well, my family. Anyway. Your family was already there because your family was already there. 
Yeah. It was already, you already had that family. Yeah. Everyone else caught up because that book became a bestseller and it right. became a trend yes. in U- U.S. fashion, you know. All right. Next question. Uh, Matthew says this, I have one for Dave White and one for Alonzo. Okay. So we'll, we'll do yours too. Uh, what is your least favorite Pedro Amadovar film? Mine? Yours, Alonzo. Um, my general answer here is Dark Habits. Okay. But with the asterisk of, I probably need to see it again. Right. I watched it in college on VHS, and I just yeah. didn't find it very amusing. But, you know, I, 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 I owe it a revisit. But in the meantime, yes, that is my least favorite, probably. Matthew's question for me is very amusing. <laughs> do you have an answer to that? Would you? What would you? Do I have a? What's my least favorite Almodovar? Well, yeah. I haven't seen all of them. Ah, okay. Okay, so I don't know if there's one that I haven't seen that I might not care for. I see. But I have generally liked every Almodovar film that I have seen in my life. Gotcha. Um, I would say if you asked me that. Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down might be my current least favorite, but also I might need to go rewatch mm. because it was the first time I encountered his brand of, yes, everything I'm doing here is morally reprehensible. <laughs> Let's all have a good time. Right. And so, and I, that really took me, like it, it pushed all of my, Everything's presentation so, does not equal endorsement. Yeah, um, and then he did it again with Kika. Yeah, <laughs> and and both of those films really, I you have to get through both of those movies to get to what Almodovar is gleefully shredding and wrecking every time he makes a film. Right, um, especially back then, not so much now. Yeah, but but back then he was. He was a no-holds-barred kind of dude. Yeah, like him between like Women on the Verge and All About My Mother, which were like two of his bigger hits in, in the U.S., got nutty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Matthew's question for me is, uh-huh. would you rather rewatch Bo is Afraid or Bo Travai? <laughs> well, it's funny you ask this, Matthew, at this moment in history. Because today, we're going to record, later in the afternoon, we're going to record uh, this week's Linoleum Knife, where we catch up on a lot of stuff that we haven't talked about yet. Stuff that, some things that are even months old, mm-hmm. that before summer's over, we really wanted to try to, you know, push... Clear off the dockets. Into the, yeah. And it had taken me a really long time to get to see Bo is Afraid, because when it came to theaters, it was it's a three-hour film. And it wasn't until Oppenheimer that I realized how I could watch a three-hour movie in the movie theater, given my current uh, hip arthritis state that makes it a very bad thing for me to sit for three hours at a time. And what I learned watching Oppenheimer was that I could stand up, walk over to the aisle, be out of anyone's way, do a little... You know, leg movement, pacing, walking back and forth, stretches, while still watching the movie. And it hadn't occurred to me that I could do that. Right. But I did it. And when Bo was Afraid was in theaters for its kind of a short theatrical uh, life, it was not a huge uh, box office uh, 
success. Um, I thought, nope, three hours, can't do it. So I waited till streaming. And in fact, I just finished watching it. Like, not long before this podcast began. <laughs> so, um, would you rather rewatch Bo is Afraid or Bo Travai? <laughs> He says, also, why do I have a bad feeling that you, Dave, would probably choose the Ari Aster picture that I really disliked over the homoerotic but kind of interesting? <laughs> Sorry, Alonzo Duralde, I gotta say it. Claire Denis film. Uh, for me personally, I'd gleefully sit through another viewing of You Don't Mess with the Zohan while eating circus peanuts. <laughs> Over that Joaquin Phoenix shit show that I wasted $8 to go see. <laughs> so, okay, I have some, some things to say. Um, um, first of all, I wouldn't call Beau Travail kind of interesting. I would call it what it is, a masterpiece. And Kinda is being so too kind That's just me. Uh, but I'm sorry, I just looked at a question. Uh, Dr. Steve just threw a question into the uh, comments, but I will, maybe I'll have time to get to it. Yeah. Um, the, um, I would watch Beau Travai again because it's shorter. <laughs> and you might like it this time. No. You might. I've seen it twice. You now. might. You might. Um, all right. Bo is Afraid is a, a, it's a, that's a whole lot of movie. And... As I watched it, I noticed the astonishing, meticulous level of attention to detail that Ari Aster is doing, delivering in this film. It's very much in the same way that the latest Spider-Man animated feature is. <laughs> you watch it once, you haven't seen everything there is to see in those, in those frames. And so... I would watch it again just so I could look at it. Uh -huh. um, thematically, I will get to that when in, we were in LK. It is, you know, the first 15 minutes, I thought, am I just going to have a panic attack for three hours? Or am I going to make, or am I going to decide this is a comedy? And that is when I decided it was a comedy. And... I had a much better time <laughs> after that. Uh, I could rewatch Bo Travai anytime. I've seen it a handful of times at this point. It's one of my all-time favorite films. It is beautiful. It is, uh, it is not the yawn-inducing uh, film that Alonzo is uh, that visually, was a genuine yawn, visually but... communicating to the camera right now. It is. But it's also a yawner. <laughs> amazing. Uh, so the answer is Bo Travai because I genuinely, truly love Bo Travai. Uh And Bo is afraid I would watch again for the... Analytic. The, 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 the minutia. The Easter it. egg hunt. <laughs> the, the birthday boy stab man-ness of it all. That's what I would do. Mm. All right. Let me delete this question so that I don't get myself lost in the... In the document, here we go. Uh, Brian asks, how do we preserve the autonomy of A24 and other independent film production companies in a media world that seems to be filled with black hole corporations 
that gobble up everything they can in hopes of being seen as profitable and worthy of stockholder investment. Well, I don't know that we do anything. That's, <laughs> the word we is where I got, you and I feel the same way. Yeah. We can't do, I'm sorry, we can't do shit. Yeah. We can buy tickets to 824 movies that are worth buying tickets for, and that's all the power we But have. even then, their success does not preclude their being bought up. You their know, success might mean them make them more, more attractive. More attractive being bought up for higher offers. And it could happen. You know, I don't know who runs A24, but are they immune from... Uh, at the Well, at the moment, they are not part of a, the AMPTP, which is like not. why... That's why their films are exemptions from the strike. Yeah, yeah. and like their ca- the cast of Priscilla will be at Venice, you yeah. know. Um, yeah, I don't think... I don't know if there's a solution on the consumer end of that, unfortunately. Uh, if it gives you any hope, um, strand releasing. More than strand releasing. Strand releasing. Neon, Grasshopper, Kim Stim, Cinema Guild. Okay, uh, uh, name name a little distributor that brings films that are interesting and alive to art house cinemas and to occasionally, sometimes, if you're lucky, a multiplex in a big city. Where I was going with this, yes, is that Strand Releasing has been around for more than thirty years. They have without getting sucked into becoming any studio's classics division right. or any of that other kind of nonsense. Yeah. Um, and that's rare uh, because, frankly, the history of indie studios is either them getting subsumed or uh, them going bankrupt. You know, right. um, I remember in the, the, the late 80s, that period where all of these little companies were like, ah, oh, we're going to pre-sell the video rights and then pay for the movie and it'll right, be great. Right. Until video stores were choked with all these VHS tapes that nobody wanted to rent and that whole, you know, um, uh, uh, format fell apart, you know, uh, for, for, yeah. for financing. And so, you know, like Vestron made a fortune on Dirty Dancing and right. within three or four years they were gone. G.D. Schmitz says Neon is Hulu. Is that true? Are they connected somehow? Mm. Are you making a, a metaphorical? Uh, I think I think Hulu and Neon have some sort of arrangement set oh, okay. up. But they don't own it. Hulu is owned by like Disney. But who owns Neon? Neon, Neon is its own. Oh. Neon is owned by by Draft House. I see. Okay. Anyway, if you have access to a local art house that you can walk up to and buy a ticket and sit in a seat and watch a film on a screen. Please do this. Yes. In fact, do it today. It's National Cinema Day in the United States, and more than 3,000 theaters nationwide are selling all tickets to everything today for $4. Four bucks. IMAX, everything, you name it, four bucks today. And if you don't have access to an art house that screens... uh, uh, Films from small distributors. Mm-hmm. Almost every one of those small distributors has a streaming option. Yeah. Kino now through their sites. Like it, it makes me extremely happy to get to go to the Grasshopper site and look at something on their projector service. Yeah, you know something that I can't get to. Something that might not even play in Los Angeles. Uh, the Metrograph Theater in New York City has a streaming service that you can apply. You can yeah. sign up for for like a monthly thing, and they carry all kinds of cool stuff. 
you know, the Criterion Channel. Anyway. Which currently, which currently just premiered, uh, they've got, what is it, Eight Mountains? Is that what it's called? The Eight Mountains. The Eight Mountains yeah. is now streaming on Criterion Channel. Yeah, which we need to catch up on. We do. Because it was released several months ago, and we neither one of us got a chance to see it. We do. For that very same reason as it's a nearly three-hour film, I think. So. All right. Arvid wants to know, mm-hmm. what are some of your favorite films made before 1920? It can be any kind of film. I have started to delve into this period a little bit by watching the oldest films selected for preservation in the American National Film Registry on their Wikipedia pages. And I highly recommend this, uh, y'all. If you go to the American National Film Registry's Wikipedia page, what you will find is a list of films and quite often links to just look at it right there on the page. It's real cool. I, I'm caught unawares here. I, I'm sure I have some that I've seen, but I mean, like, even my silent cinema knowledge usually is post-1920. Um, well, I got you. Okay. The wonderful, excellent Manola Dargis, my president, mm. introduced me to Lois Weber. Mm-hmm. And Lois Weber made a lot of films in the 19-teens. Yeah. Um, and I have seen The Dumb Girl of Portici. Mm-hmm. I have seen Where Are My Children. And I have seen, uh, most especially... Uh, Shoes? Shoes. Shoes and Where Are My Children. She was very much uh, a filmmaker a, who... A uh, crusader. Uh, yeah. She was a, a social justice crusader in, in, the, in the teens. And she was also a great filmmaker. And you can see a lot of her films uh, on the internet. You can just watch them. And they're great. Um, now, the one that we own on Blu-ray because it was sent to us for your physical media column, so this is available on Blu-ray, is the 1918, sorry, I think the 1916, I think, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, mm. which... Has been sitting on the stack that we that we like to call Mount Unwatched. Yes. And when we got it, I was like, "Ooh, yes, this one," because I want to see an underwater monster movie <laughs> made in nineteen sixteen. Made in nineteen sixteen. Yes. Um, so I'll be looking at that here pretty soon. Mm-hmm. You've, you've reminded me that I need to watch it. Uh, Salome is after nineteen twenty. Salome is after. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of silent films after nineteen twenty sure. that we have seen. You know. The Godless Girl, Salome, you know, Greed, Sunrise, you, you name it. Yeah, so many, so many. Uh, yeah, check the, out the, the films of Lois Weber. Yeah, you will not uh, go wrong. Actually, in fact, going back to the previous uh, question, I believe on Kino now you can stream a lot of them because they're the ones who put out the box set of her stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. Stephen wants to know what movies? Uh, what are movies that got a mostly negative critical reaction? that you genuinely, unironically, love and defend. Guilty pleasures do not count. Well, I, I don't necessarily believe in the idea of the guilty pleasure, but exactly. it's pleasure, it's pleasure. Uh, I mean, you know, Josie and the Pussycats, obviously. That was one that was Everybody hated Josie and misunderstood the at the time. We, we both walked out of it automatically loving it. Yes, yeah. and time has caught up to that one. Uh, we were vindicated. 
Yes. Yeah. Critically despised films that I like. Well, I mean, you know, I did I did like Movie 43. I laughed. What can I say? I laughed at Movie 43, too. Um, I also laughed at That's My Boy. Oh, God. And Little Nicky. And Little Nicky. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> How about that? Yeah. Uh, God, I'm trying to think of... There are a lot of comedies and a lot of slasher movies that are just rotten. Mm-hmm. But I have a great time. And I, I don't really feel like defending them should be on my agenda. So, so Little Nicky, That's My Boy, um, Movie 43, um, you know, really gnarly uh, horror films that are just despicable, like Don't Answer the Phone and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I'll, I'll totally watch those. And I have a great time. I think the original Hitcher got not particularly good reviews when it first came out, although that's another one that people caught up with. Yeah. I remember loving that immediately. Um, The Brown Bunny got a lot of hate, (laughs) and I remember thinking it was really great. Mm. Um, Same with Human Centipede. People hated that one, and I remember thinking that it was a a great horror movie because it left you feeling miserable. (laughs) Which I think is a horror movie should horrify you and leave you feeling bad, shouldn't it? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, so if you ever listen to me on Deck the Hallmark, on Mondays I've been going in and we've been reviewing 2022 Christmas movies from channels that were not Hallmark or uh, Lifetime. Yeah. And not the one that airs tomorrow, but the one that airs a week from Monday is a movie that I thought was quite lovely and charming and funny. And not only did Dan hate it, Bran hated it. And that was a weird one for me. And and he'll eat a Pop-Tart that fell on the ground. (laughs) (laughs) Metaphorically speaking. (laughs) Uh, The 1959 Rene Cardona Santa Claus is widely regarded regarded as a very bad film. Mystery Science Theater did a very well-known episode about it. People talk about it as a as a as a classic of bad cinema. I think it is an incredible surrealist fantasy for children, and and will go to bat uh, for it. Yeah, I've I've warmed up to it over the years, definitely, and uh, I think also. Uh, I think we could put showgirls in the category of showgirls misunderstood yep. by critics, but that have endured and that that has its defenders unir- has its unironic defenders. Yeah. Okay. Michelle asks. This is a serious question. Oh, by the way. Okay. I've sunk into a hole of isolation of my own making. I'm really not on social media anymore, and I do write quite a bit fiction, cultural writing, but I don't know how to get my work out there in a way that makes me feel like I'm not just joining the noise and the void. I'm curious if either of you have felt that way or similar. Do you ever find it more difficult and uncomfortable as we get older to push out your ideas and writing because the internet can sometimes be an overwhelming or hostile place? And how do you deal with that in a healthy way? Um, I'm crazily privileged in that regard, uh, in that... I have a book agent and I have, you know, I, I, I know who to ask if I have a certain thing I want to write for a certain kind of publication. Uh, and you know, we create our own thing here that we are able to just 
put directly out into the world without any filter. Uh, so I, I have to say, I, that has not been a thing that I've, I've encountered the isolation part. Certainly. Um, I have my moments where I just feel like I'm never leaving the house and, and, and I don't see anybody. Yeah. Um, I, I'll tell you, I, I know that she has advertised on the show, but uh, our good friend, Amber Petty uh-huh. does a lot of online instruction for writers, kind of teaching them how to navigate the freelance sphere and get their work published. Um, you might look her up on Instagram and maybe... I think she's just amberpetty.com, right? I think so, yeah. yeah. Like maybe sit in on one of her classes or something because that that might provide you with some some tactics, you know, on, on how new writers or sort of, you know, not well-known writers can, you know, get their stuff in front of the people who need to see it. Let me tell you some real shit. All right? Okay. I moved to Los Angeles in 1999, and I led a charmed writing life existence for 10 years. I hit the ground running. I sent out clips to magazines. I thought were, I just thought they were cool, right? And, and they got back to me, and they hired me to do shit. I was writing about everything. Music, books, art, fashion, uh, uh, movies, uh, movies. Yeah, you name it. Like writing film reviews was just one thing I did. I was invited to write uh, first-person like story columns for the LA Weekly. I got to uh, record uh, first-person stories for the local NPR station. I got a fucking book deal. The book came out. It's a stupid book, but people seemed to enjoy it. And and then 2008, 2009, 2010, I pitched my second book to my publisher. They turn it down. They said, you haven't sold through on your first book yet. And no one's buying this kind of book right now. And I said, okay, fine. Then they went out of business. Yeah. All right. Then one by one, all the cool little fun pop culture writing gigs dried up because my editors got laid off in the 2008, 2009, 2010 financial crisis. They got laid off. And suddenly these editors who were hiring me took themselves out of journalism entirely, and I no longer had those contacts. Yeah, we were both writing for MSNBC, and I was their film critic, and after 2008, I was like, we're going to just run stuff off of AP, and your fun things you were doing for them were not happening. Gone. So by that point, I had one steady gig, movies.com. I was their main film critic, and I kept that gig until 2015, and I held on to the till the bitter end with them because I wanted the job. And by that point, I had really co- committed myself to s- saying, you know what? I am now a film critic. I don't just write about whatever, anywhere, for anybody, and and write these goofy little reviews that are these little bullet point joke, 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 jokes. Which, by the way, did not do my reputation uh, any favors among other film critics. I was largely perceived as a clown among serious film critics between the years 
2011. Like, I had solidified my reputation as, that guy's not a film critic. He just writes jokey reviews for movies.com because that's what they want him to do. The end. We don't have to pay attention to him at all. Now, I finally quit movies.com at 2015 because I was fed up with the way that they were treating me as a company and they were not treating me well at all. And so I quit and I thought, you know what? I'm going to focus on linoleum knife and maybe working on a second book and trying to get other gigs here and there. Let's see what happens. And nothing happened. And everyone I knew who was an editor said, goodbye to journalism and like the ones that had left they were they left and then the other ones left and suddenly I had no more contacts I had no more professional contacts and it just so happened that one day this dude here sitting next to me who was the film reviews editor at the rap was stuck in a bind and he said hey I need uh I need somebody to review this horror movie because my guy can't go and it's tonight can you go and I said no. I said, because that's a conflict of interest. You're going to talk to your boss and double check and make sure that she says it's okay. And she said, yes, send him. He's a film critic, isn't he? Send him. doesn't matter that you're going to be his editor. Just send him. So I went and I reviewed a movie. And from that moment forward, I barely reviewed anything mainstream. Occasionally, I would review a horror movie. Occasionally, I would review a contemporary Christian faith-based film. You reviewed one Marvel movie for me. I reviewed one Marvel movie for you, which was against my will. But largely, what I did was I built myself this little niche of reviewing straight-up art house. And not just regular art house. I mean, like... Three-hour Portuguese films. Yeah. Okay? So... And I was so happy, the happiest I've ever been as a person who writes about film. And here's what happened. When I went to post these reviews online, invariably I would post the link and one of the first comments almost every time would be, I really miss your reviews. And it was never from the same person. It was always from different people. I really miss your reviews. And I'm like, God damn it. I posted a review right here. (laughs) Fucking click the link. And then, how can you miss me if I never left? The bottom fell out of that because he quit the rap. They pushed him out. And and when he went, they stopped reviewing teeny tiny little micro-release art house films. And I have not had a paying job since February. This is my job right now. And I have decided, to get back to your original question, I have decided that seven people care about what I'm writing. And this fall, I'm going to begin my own thing. I'm going to begin a substack or something like it where I get to write about the films I care about writing about in the way that I care about writing about them. And I will do that for the seven people who are interested. And I'm lucky, 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 lucky to be here with my co-host, who is also my spouse, and we do this podcast together, and we do all these podcasts together, and it pays the rent, which is shocking to me still. Um, and that's that. Like, I can't tell you that 
your work won't go into a void because I think that's where mine goes too. I would like to hear from anybody who read my review of Bad Luck Banging or, or Looney Porn, the Romanian <laughs> film from 2019. I would like to hear from anyone who read that review or Vitalina Varela or uh, 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 The Woman Who Left. The Woman Who Left, the Lav Diaz film. <clears throat> I'd like to hear from someone who read those links. I haven't yet. But it would be wonderful to hear from someone who read it and said, you know what? I read that review and you made me watch it. That's what I would like. That's the serious answer to that serious question. And the answer is there is no answer. The answer is keep doing it. Keep writing. If you need to write, fucking write. And if there are seven people who read it, then you've got seven more people than you were, ha- were going to have before. <laughs> That's how I that's how I feel right now. Like I, I I sit sometimes and I think, does anyone give a shit if I write anything about, you know, this kind of movie that I really care about? Does anyone give a shit? And the answer is maybe not. It seems to be a shrinking, 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 shrinking audience. And but fuck it. I gotta do it. All right. Andrew says, we got to crack it up. We got three more questions in two more minutes. Oh, good Lord. Andrew says, I recently read about a theory slash myth slash legend that Santa Claus slash Christmas as an event slash person was influenced by hallucinogenic mushrooms. (laughs) I was wondering if Alonzo was aware of this myth. I understand that there is a general acceptance that Santa Claus and Christmas was informed by St. Nicholas, but then I've heard many other ideas about how Christmas and Santa Claus was turned into the event that it is. Is there one main idea that people can mostly agree upon about the origin of Santa Claus and Christmas? I pulled up this article, this link, from fungi.org, F-F-U-N-G-I.org, and the name of the article is The Influence of Hallucinogenic Mushrooms on Christmas, and it's convincing. Uh, That's a new one on me, but I will read the article. I've read a few books about the history of Christmas, and yeah, it is very much a thing that was shaped by various cultural uh, phenomena over the course of... They think the Druids had something to do with it. After they got a hold of hallucinogenic wow. mushrooms. Over the course of centuries, St. Nicholas being part of that, but also <clears throat> the you know Christian church taking over winter uh, festivals like you know Yule and the Saturnalia. Um, I-, I will read that and uh, get back to you. Rob asks, what is Dave White's favorite meal to cook? And what is Alonzo's favorite meal that Dave White cooks? Yes, Dave White is like Charlie Brown to me. You always say the full name. Well, oh, yeah, he, we always he do. He does. I do. In the house. He this... crawls across the apartment. Dave White! <laughs> There's a lot of Daves in my life. There are a lot of Daves, and there are a lot of Dave Whites, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, the favorite meal that you cook for me, probably, well, it's the one that I will, I was, will inevitably ask for when it's my birthday. Uh, the lasagna that is oh, half yeah. Yeah. the Ruth Reichel bolognese and half the... J. Kenji Lopez Alt uh, spinach uh, lasagna. The 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 cook J. Kenji Lopez Alt has a beautiful, <clears throat> glorious, mm. perfect spinach lasagna recipe that is a white lasagna. The bechamel, no red sauce with in like it at all. just the most the, the the spinach is pulverized. Yeah. Uh, and then Ruth Reichel has a recipe for a bolognese that she makes. And I was making the bolognese, and you loved it. And I was making the spinach lasagna, and you loved it. And then one day you said, 
what if you made that spinach lasagna and included the bolognese in it? Like, what if you just added on to it? And I said, yeah, what if I did that? And I did that. Holy shit. It's nice. But was my favorite thing to make? Because let me tell you something about that recipe. It's a three-day. Yeah. <laughs> it's a process. My favorite project meal uh, was the cassoulet. The cassoulet, yeah. Because that takes a week. <laughs> and, and that was fun. So much fun. But, but oh my God, the steps involved. Uh, my favorite thing to make is, is not just a thing to make. It's a specific time to make it. When daylight savings time comes to an end and we return to standard time, when the sun goes down early in the afternoon, and it is a Friday night, and it is cozy in our home, a home that we have strived to make cozy, and the Great British Baking Show is on, Great British Bake Off, as it's actually known in the United States, it's called something else. What I like is to make risotto for dinner mm. because it's 45 minutes of me standing at the stove stirring. And no one talks to me, and no one think, and I'm not thinking about anything. I'm just in the white room, <laughs> stirring, 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 and it becomes a way for me to lower my heart rate. And then we eat the risotto, and we watch the Great British Bake Off, and then I go to bed. You know those people have on their desk like the box of sand with a little wooden rake, and they'll just like that is Dave making risotto. It's his moment of zen. I, I do feel very happy. When I do that. And finally, last question. Yes. Uh, I'm going to give you one answer here and another answer on linoleum knife and fork. Oh. This is from David, and he says, what is the best toast? Now, David, you have opened up the, the, the topic that could fill an entire episode of linoleum, linoleum knife, knife and, and fork. fork. And yeah. maybe it will. Because toast is a perfect meal. Toast is the meal that you can make that has infinite variations and all of them can be suited to your taste sweet savory and everything in between yeah but if i've got a cup of tea in the morning in front of me black tea with milk i prefer berries irish tea black irish tea with some milk or half and half that piece of toast if I'm being my most luxurious, extravagant self, and I'm not thinking about type 2 diabetes, there is a, a, a brand of sourdough sliced bread that we get at our grocery store uh, from a local bakery that is, I think, really wonderful. And it is thick. It is a, it's a sturdy, hearty piece of bread. Miners something? I forget the name of the brand. Uh, off the top of my head, it's not. I'm not staring at the label yeah. right in front of me. That bread, and then I I do the Nigella Lawson thing sometimes because she is an evil person, and she has taught me the most wicked way to make a piece of toast. Well, I'm gonna tell it to you right now. Toast that bread, and then slather unsalted butter on it, and then let it soak in. And then slather more unsalted butter on it. So much butter that you have saturated the bread with butter. You are experiencing a beautiful, terrible thing. And then you sprinkle some Maldon sea salt on top of that. And then you get the best 
fucking orange marmalade that you can find. And I mean, fancy imported shit, really extra thick, coarse cut, rindy orange marmalade. And you just spread it on. That's your toast right there. But there are 700 other types of toast that would make me almost as happy as that. And I think, David, that you have just inspired an entire episode of Linoleum Knife and Fork for a future date. I believe you Once have. I make my master list of Dave White's personal toast heaven. <laughs> Something to look forward to. Uh, well, hey, listen, thanks for watching. Linoleum Knife and Fork is $7 a month. By That's the way. right. <laughs> thanks for listening if you listened. If you have never heard uh, Linoleum Nights before because you're not a member of our Patreon, hey, why not become one at patreon.com slash linoleum knife. Uh, and if you are on our Patreon, we'll be back next time. Not next Sunday because I'll be in Italy. He's going to be in Italy. In two weeks. Two weeks. With more. Yes. Until then, good, good night. night.